Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Matt. I uh, lead the team here at Liberty Church. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, uh, particularly if this is your first time with us today. You might have never been here in the Vonnelkirk, or you might have never been here on YouTube watching us. But uh, thank you so much. It's great to have you tuning in, joining our live stream today. Uh, we've been working through as a church the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is an, an ancient statement of belief, which really summarizes what it means to be a follower of Jesus uh, and what it means to know God. Uh, and in the world around us at the moment, all the time we're bombarded with all sorts of different stories. There's so many things that we feel like we have to know about what's happening in the world, which often can feel overwhelming and scary and lead us to anxiety, fear, worry of all sorts of different types. But we believe that what we know about God is far more important. And actually even the fact that we know God, that we can have a relationship with him, that's the thing that we want to shape our lives. Not what we know about the world, but what we know about God. So what we're going to do now is we're going to watch the Apostles' Creed for the last time because we're finishing up today. So as it's the last time, we've invited a whole bunch of our friends to help read it to us. So we're going to watch that on the video now. I believe in God. The Father Almighty. Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. Only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again. To judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Well, that was so powerful to see so many of our friends, maybe many people you've not seen for months and months and months. Uh, we look forward to seeing them all again soon. Uh, today we are going to focus on just that last uh, sentence or so of the creed where it says I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting amen and we get to talk about I guess what happens at the end but also what happens at the beginning the beginning of eternity we get to talk about what happens which you might call our glorification for those of us who are believers in Jesus when Jesus comes again to take us home to be with him. So what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, uh, Jan Peter is going to read from us to us from uh, Revelation uh, chapter 21. So you might want to turn there in your Bible or find it on your phone if you have one with you. If not, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen. So Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Over the last few hundred years, we've been living through, uh, in our city and all across the world, we've been living through a mighty shift that's taken place. Uh, a battle, you could call it, between what is imminent and what is transcendent, between imminence and transcendence. And what I mean by that is perhaps one of the big questions around has been, is meaning and purpose and truth, uh, morality, is joy and happiness, are these things to be found uh, out there or up there in a transcendent sense? Or are those things to be found down here or even in here? This sense of the imminence, clearly, closeness, nearness. And all across the Western world, this shift has been taking place. Uh, a good way to illustrate this would be if you've ever been to the Rijksmuseum here in Amsterdam. Uh, the way the museum is set up is you you go from room to room, and the rooms are themed around different times in history. So I think it starts around the 13th century and then moves up to the, to the 19th, 20th century. And as you go from room to room, as you move through art history, you'll see a shift take place that in the early paintings from the 13th and 14th century, much of what is depicted is pictures of the divine, of God as they see it, or of stories from the Bible. But then as it moves on, the shift begins to take place. That more and more the focus isn't on the divine, it's not on God or a God of some kind, but the paintings become more about us and the world around us. So when you get to the 16th, 17th century and you find the mighty works of Rembrandt, some of them are still about biblical characters, but some of them are just about the city around us and the world around us. And then as you move into the 18th, 19th century, again, they become much more about us and our world. Then if you go across the road to the Stade-like museum, the, it's completely different. There's no images, nothing that represents God or the divine in any way. And in, in a city where our transcendence, our sense of the divine, our sense of God has been stripped away. We live under what some sociologists would call like a closed heaven, that we can't search for any meaning or purpose in anything up there, in any kind of God or holiness or divineness. But everything becomes relative, everything becomes subjective, 
What I mean by that is that any meaning or purpose we find in what we do, we find meaning and purpose in who we are, not in whom we believe in. Any truth or morality is decided not by any God above, but is ultimately, at the end of the day, is decided by us. We become our own internal lawyers, our own internal judges. We decide what's good and bad, what we think is right and wrong. Or any joy or happiness is found internally. Ultimately, that's where we have to make ourselves happy. And we can use outside things, we can do outside practices, but the focus all the time is making, is bringing to life some kind of divine spark inside of myself, some kind of internal joy. And when we think about ourselves, we think about our bodies, when we think about our relationships, when we think about how we engage with the society around us, the answer is always what I can do, or perhaps what we can do together. The answer is never what can God do. And so if you're watching this, you're not a follower of Jesus. To many people in our city, you might have watched Jan Peter read from Revelation 21, this picture of this ultimate transcendent city coming down to earth, that would read just like a fantasy, like pie in the sky, just a ridiculous myth to most people around us. And it's not that people aren't searching for something transcendent. People search after out-of-body existential experiences all the time but ultimately it's to bring alive that divine spark within us. We're constantly seeking to find eternal glory in the temporary world around us. But if you believe in the God of the Bible, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe in what it talked about there in Revelation 21, then we have to understand that our life in the future city will reshape how we live in the present city. Let me say that again. If we're followers of Jesus, when we read Revelation 21, that picture of this eternal glorious city, our inheritance, our life in the future city will reshape how we live today in our present city. Now, why is that? We're going to look at three, three ways in which our life in the future city reshapes how we live here today. First of all, the wonderful truth, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you have been raised. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, 
as we were talking about last week, if you're watching, to be a follower of Jesus means we're, we're forgiven. That Jesus has taken all our sins, all our failings, and removed them from us as far as the East is from the West. And that's an act of his sovereign, wonderful grace. That we died with him and we've been made alive with him. We've been raised up with him. And that means that when we one day die, when we one day leave this world around us right now, that we will become fully aware of what is actually already true about us, what he's already won for us. That your new birth, that is to be a follower of Jesus, is just season one. It's just episode one of season one of your life. My kids have just started watching The Simpsons on Disney+, and they're about into season five or six. But there are something like 55 different seasons of The Simpsons, and they're still making new episodes all the time. Your life on earth is just like the first scene of the first episode of the first season of The Simpsons. It's just this tiny fraction of eternity that we're living in right now. And to be a Christian is to know that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. There is something far, far better that awaits all of us. It says in Colossians chapter 3, if you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is you, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. To be a Christian is to live in the reality now of what is already true. That God isn't just a distant being. He's not just this transcendent force. But God is with us now. God is with us now. That you can know him now. That some of this future glory that awaits us is also available to us now. And that means that you don't need a a kind of a, a bucket list to do, a, a list of achievements in your life. You don't need to do and achieve everything. It's okay to do things and to have goals and achievements, but you don't need to visit every city when one day you get to be in the eternal city. You don't need to achieve everything and fill your life up with so many achievements when we have eternity ahead of us to enjoy God. And right now you can find your meaning and your happiness ultimately in him. Changing to a new microphone. I think this is because they want me to sing for you right now. But uh, I'm not going to do that. The second way that we
that life in the future city reshapes our life in the present city is that we have redeemed bodies. See, there's, there's so much uncertainty about eternity. Perhaps the big question you might be thinking is, have I done enough to get there? But other questions might be, you know, what is heaven? Is it some kind of cloud city in the sky where we all sort of float around like angels, sort of mystical soul ether beings? Actually, the Bible's quite clear about this. It says in Romans chapter 8 that we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And that's very important that we wait for the redemption of, not from, our bodies. That when we get to this new city in Revelation 21, where Jesus comes down with his new city to win us back to him forever, that we get to live in that new city with new, improved bodies. It's kind of you, but with some added glory to it. See, because so often we will see and hear people in the world around us uh, looking to escape from their bodies. The people talk about their body being a kind of a prison that doesn't reflect their true identity. People want to change things about themselves, things that they don't like, flaws, parts of their body that, are, that embarrass them or lead them to feel shameful. And we treat our bodies as just temporary things that we can get rid of. Now, we need to have empathy and compassion for people who feel like that. But the reality is to sort of somehow get rid of our bodies, to escape from them, is we're actually cheating eternity. Because it, God doesn't just redeem our souls and remove them from our bodies. But one day we will be reunited with our physical bodies. In the Westminster Confession, which is a bit like it's a slightly longer version of the Apostles' Creed in some senses. It says that we will have in heaven our self-same bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the perishable becomes imperishable. By that I mean that the, the mortal, these bodies that fade away, that get weak, that have sickness and illness, that suddenly they become immortal, they become somehow invincible. Philippians chapter 3 says our, our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We get to be remade, transformed, but still the same. It will still be you, but wonderfully remade and transformed. And that gives us a great hope that perhaps all the limitations you might feel, all the imperfections, the flaws, the embarrassments you might have, even with your own body, that you'll have no shame in heaven, that right now you're made in the image of God and in eternity forever you'll have this new, wonderful, glorious body that you'll be transformed perfectly into his image. We get to 
enjoy the renewal of all things, including us. You get to be as God intended you to be forever. And in the here and now, talks in Romans 8 about how we, how we groan, how we wait, how we have to live in the imperfections of the present while we await the perfect. But while we long for the redemption and the renewal of all things, we get to enjoy the first things of the Spirit it talks about. We get to enjoy the beginnings of heaven here on earth right now. Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we've seen this picture of this better city, a city where there's no more, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. We get to live now to bring that kind of city alive in the city we live in now. In 1697, the Russian Tsar, Peter the Great, he came to visit Amsterdam and he fell in love with the city and he loved it so much that he returned to St. Petersburg and he tried to recreate St. Petersburg to look like Amsterdam. He said, if God gives me lifetime, I shall make of St. Petersburg a second Amsterdam. He saw a vision of a perfect better city and Amsterdam is a wonderful city to live in and he tried to recreate his own city in its image and that's how we get to live on earth right now that there are imperfections there will always be struggles and difficulties but we get to bring the life of heaven into earth right now it means when we see issues of injustice issues of pain and suffering we don't just say oh well one day God will fix that all we don't just sort of look ahead, but we get to, to seek out true justice now. We get to sing, seek to bring hope and love in the world we live in now. And the, the third way I want to finish with about how our life in the future city reshapes our life now is knowing that one day we all get to return home. Christians will often talk about death as a coming home moment of going to be at home with our Father. What a wonderful hope that we get to look forward to. See, the Bible is a story of from creation in the beginning through to a new creation at the end. That God's plan was always to dwell with his people, as it talks about in verse 3 of Revelation 21. His plan was always for both a transcendent and an imminent world, that we could know God's otherness and his wonder, but we could also know his nearness of relationship, of fellowship with him. That God is a wonderfully relational God that you can know as a friend and a father. And one day we'll get to go home and be with him, to be finally at peace at home. And for all the rejects and the outcasts, for the confused, for the homesick, one day we all get to go home. We get to go to the city of no mores, no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain. The city of perfect joy and delight.
I guess the question remains, which I raised earlier, is how, how do we get home? Have I done enough? You might be wondering. Well, the wonderful good news for you is, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that what matters is not what you've done, but what Jesus has done for you. Let me tell a quick story to help illustrate this for us. Um, if you grew up in England like I did, uh, when you learn in school about the Second World War, one of the most famous stories that the English claim as a victory is the story of Dunkirk, which was actually a massive failure where 400,000 uh, troops, British troops, were stuck on the beach in Dunkirk in northern France. And the Germans were closing in. They were unable to get home. And uh, it was a massive defeat, a massive failure. And it looked like they were all going to get massacred on the beach. But what happened was uh, the government asked lots of little, uh, anybody who had a boat to basically sail across the English Channel and rescue all these troops and bring them home, which is exactly what happened. And this story was made into a movie that came out a few years ago um, called Simply Dunkirk. And there's a beautiful scene in that movie where Kenneth Branagh, who's the actor who's playing the commander who's overseeing all these troops, he looks out through his binoculars out into the mist and he begins to see these first few ships and they were the pleasure boats, fishing boats, cruisers. They weren't military ships, many of them. And he sees them coming through his binoculars. And his second in command says to him, what can you see? And he just replies very simply, home. And that's such a beautiful way that we can see Jesus work for us. One of the adverts for the movie said that when they couldn't get home, home came for them. And that's what's true for you, that none of us could get home, but home has come for us. That Jesus Christ has come to one day bring us home to be with our Father in heaven forever. Let me pray and then I'll hand over to the band. Jesus, we thank you so much for your wonderful grace that has come to rescue us. That all of us were completely lost without you, but you've come to bring us home. And you've prepared for us a glorious inheritance, a rich feast where we get to enjoy being with you forever. We get to enjoy life in this perfect eternal city. But you've also sent us into this world right now to bring a taste of heaven here on earth, to show your, your love, your joy, all the, all the beautiful delights of the future kingdom. We get to pray and to see and to work out this kingdom now. So we pray as you taught us to pray, your kingdom come in Amsterdam. Your will be done in our city. Your will be done and your kingdom come in our lives, in our hearts, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.